Hello and welcome to Story Untold. I'm Martin Bauman and today we're talking basketball again. My next guest is what you would call a people person, a guy that seems to know everyone. He celebrated the NBA championship with the Raptors and is close friends with the Dreamville camp. But that's all really secondary to what he does first and foremost. And what he does is prison reform all through the game of basketball. Lamont Stapleton is the co-founder of Between the Lines, a prison basketball program. It started in California, and it's aimed at rehabilitation. It gives people inside a chance to find release through the game of basketball. And it's only just begun. Here's Lamont's story. I'm home in Jersey. My mom just made me a, a nice cup of tea, so I'm uh, trying to enjoy this and also... Uh, you know, get over the sickness at the same time. Nice to be home, I think, when you're sick. That's uh, that's always a place you can get taken care of, right? <laughs> yeah, so, for sure, for sure. <laughs> uh, it's, it's maybe fitting then, since you are home, to start with a memory of home. What is your first memory with a basketball? With a basketball, I'd say probably my, my first memory with the basketball is, uh, I think I was four years old when I began playing in a league in Colonia. Um, yeah, I went to school early. I started I started kindergarten at four years old. And I had to go to a Catholic school because my birthday was after the cutoff date at the public school locally. So, yeah, I had to go to a Catholic school. And I think my dad, my parents found out about a league in Colonia right next to where my school was. And I began playing in that. Uh, so I'd say, I'd say that was probably my earliest memory. And then also just going to the gym with my dad because he was a basketball player as well. Going to the gym with him and watching him play against his, uh, his boys at the Elizabeth YMCA in Jersey here. So your dad, is he playing rec basketball or what's what's he playing? Yeah, at this point he was playing men's league, but my dad played at Elizabeth High School. He was uh he was one of uh the first teams to open up the the legendary Dunn Center at Elizabeth High School. So um and I don't I don't know if you're familiar with, with Jersey hoops, but um a lot of people say New York is a Mecca of basketball, but right. I mean Jersey had Jersey has had some hoopers. And my dad uh came out and played a played with a lot of uh, a lot of legends. So he played at a pretty high level. So you're four years old, you're watching your dad play and then getting a chance to play yourself in Colonia. Are you, is that co-ed at that age at four years old and are the nets, you know, lowered? What, what's kind of the, the arrangement? Yeah, the, rims, the rims were, the rims were surely lowered. And, uh, it's, it's funny because I recently found a, a bunch of old video and it's just hilarious to see how terrible I was. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, I was bigger than a lot of the other kids, but, uh, you would never think that I would go on to uh, a, a, or amount to be much of anything. But, uh, you know, I actually ended up playing, uh, you know, being pretty good in high school, went on, played prep school ball and then played in college as well. So, yeah, it's just funny seeing those beginnings and seeing how things uh, transform over the years. Yeah. So Rahway, New Jersey, that's that's home for you. What, what's the city like? If you could paint a picture of it for me. <laughs> you know, oddly enough, Rahway has a nickname called Prison City because, uh, it has a, a very famous prison here that's been used in a lot of different movies and a lot of different uh, notable people throughout history have come through the prison. It used to be called Rahway State Prison, but now it's called East Jersey State Penitentiary. So uh, East Jersey State Prison. And it's right in my backyard. I mean, I grew up, uh, you know, a five minute walk from the prison. So you know, when we're talking basketball and we're talking, you know, uh, now what I'm involved in, which is the prison basketball program. Definitely. I look back and it's like I, I come from Prison City is what is what they call it. <laughs> so it's kind of it's kind of wild how things come full circle. 
Yeah, no kidding. So, yeah, tell me more about the town. Yeah, Rawi is a very, very unique place. It's uh, it's extremely diverse. It's it's got you know two different sides. I mean, we've got everything from a project to uh, a, a lake that you know houses a lot of the uh, more affluent members of the town. So it's cool because everybody comes together at one high school and everybody gets along. You know, there was never that. There was never anything strange. It's like the people from this area that we have, like Milton Lake, you know, which is the more affluent area, they hang out with the people from the projects and it's cool. So uh, growing up, I saw a lot of mixing of races. It was uh, it was very diverse. I mean, I had friends that were, you know, black, white, Asian, you know, you name it. What is the park that you're going to play basketball like? Like every park's got its distinct rims and backboards and you got to yeah. know how to play them, uh, all that. Yeah. So we're always broken up into different sections. So I, I lived uh, near Brennan Park uh, and everybody would call that down Brennan. So like, you know, that's where I was from. So we would go to the park. Um, and it's, <laughs> it's funny because like, like you said, every park was, w- w- was very unique and uh, we had the double rims at our park. So uh, yeah, <laughs> we had the double rims at our park and a water fountain that didn't work. And we had a we had like a, you know, uh, a local guy, who, you know, we worked in the town who would always promise to uh, to fix the water fountain. Like, oh, yeah. You know, that was like the running joke every year. He's like, yeah, yeah we're going to fix the water fountain. But um, I lived walking distance from that park. So, you know, it was a three minute walk from my house down to the park. So anytime I got a chance to go outside and play, you know, I'd run right outside the door and down the street to the park, you know. And is it mostly, is it pickup that's going on there? Is it just kind of one or two people shooting around on a hoop or what's the, what's the feel? You know, this is before growing up, this is before cell phones. So all of the kids were outside. This is, you know, this is when kids will actually go outside and, and play, you know? And I guess, I guess at the time parents weren't terrified of letting their kids go down and uh, go down the street and play at the park. So um, all of the neighborhoods, her kids played basketball. That was just it. So, uh, I mean, all of my friends who lived on the block and uh, in the adjacent area, we'd all be outside playing. And this was pickup, you know. So uh, most of the time we would we would play 21, yeah. uh, you know, and then we'd break down and, you know, two on twos, three on threes, four on fours, five on fives, full court. And then, uh, you know, there would always be, you know, rivalries between uh, some of the best guys. And we, we, we get those one on ones, you know, for bragging rights. Who was the best guy at Brennan Park? Who, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I like to say that I was always the best, <laughs> but I don't know. There was so there was a kid, there was a, an older kid named Tony Matthews who uh, he idolized uh, Allen Iverson, mm. idolized Allen Iverson, and he had a crazy handle. And he was he was he was older than us, so uh, I think he probably had the most game. Uh, you know, until until we were about 12 or 13. So I turned about 12 or 13. And at the time, I think he was probably about 16, 17. But that's when it started kind of evening out. Um, but the, the cool thing was, is that you would get people of all ages. So, um, you know, as I'm growing up, I would play with a lot of grown men and I would just hold my own, you know, just getting to the point where I was holding my own against, you know, people my dad's age uh, when they played a lot more physical, you know, that kind of I think that that kind of honed my game a lot. That kind of like honed a lot. That's where I honed a lot of my skills. Mm. What did you want to be when you grew up? Like, what was the what was the plan in high school? You know, I think, I think I I, I told myself the lie that a lot of city kids kind of tell themselves that they're going to go to the NBA. 
Um, and I'm not saying that it wasn't it, it wasn't possible, but I, I, I see now that I didn't have the work ethic and I didn't necessarily have the love for it either. I just didn't know what else I wanted to be. So it was kind of the easy answer to say, oh, I'm going to go to the NBA, you know, and uh, I didn't realize that, you know, a sport doesn't necessarily have to define you at the time. I wasn't mature enough to see that. So I think at that time, I basketball was was kind of everything, even though deep down I knew that it wasn't. Mm. Uh, so it's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of a strange thing. It's kind of like a default answer. Because at that time, I mean, you're playing AAU basketball, you're coming up around other guys who are probably projected as being NCAA locks and, right. and also thinking they're on that path too, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, growing up, high school we had uh earl clark who went on to play at louisville and then play in the nba at you know um you know play with the lakers and then uh one of my one of my teammates was uh lance thomas who ended up going to play at duke win a national championship and then uh you know played in the nba for for some years you know so uh still actually a free agent so and you know he remains one of my one of my best friends but you know, I've got all of these guys who, you know, I'm, I'm playing with or against. And, you know, when they're talking about basketball, even though I, even though deep down I knew that, like, you know, there was something something different about me and I would probably be on a different path. It was just easy to say, like, yeah, hey, I'm going to go to the NBA, too. You know, so I don't know, it's funny how it's funny how time kind of reveals everything. Well, how, how did that unfold then for you? When did that kind of realization that maybe a different path was out there? come to you was it in high school was it later on I think it was I think it was a little later on I mean for one I didn't I didn't grow the way everybody else grew <laughs> uh, so I mean I, I think I, I think I'm about six three and a half so you know as I'm as I'm coming up and one I'm coming up at, at, at Gil St. Bernard's which at the time is not necessarily known for sports at all and we're playing against guys who you know are not the elite of New Jersey but, you know, I'm playing AU, I'm holding my own, and everybody everybody knows that I'm solid on the court. But um, I was still a little short, so, I, you know, they, they would call me a tweener. So I recognized that, you know, I wasn't the tallest. And, you know, if I'm if I'm going to be 6'3 and a half in, in, in that league, I, you got to be lightning quick, you, you know. So there were certain things that I recognized about my game um, that wouldn't necessarily translate to that next level. But, you know, I still ended up going to, to prep school. I played at St. Thomas More in Connecticut. And I played under a Hall of Fame coach there, Jerry Quinn, who still coaches there, remains a mentor of mine. But, Mm -hmm. you know, that was just kind of a wake up call. You know, I went there. I was out of shape. I was, was, you know, know, I'm coming off a a season in high school where I I did great. And, you know, he's like, you got the nerve to come here out of shape. So he worked me. Uh, I ended up dropping 30 pounds. I was in the best shape of my life and jumping out of the gym. And I felt like sky was the limit. You know, but he uh, he 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 would always tell me that I had other interests, and I remember getting offered by uh, Southern New Hampshire University one of my first offers while I was in prep school, and I was Division Two, and I didn't pay them any mind. And you know, I just I had it in my mind I'm going Division One. Like right. I said, everybody around me was going Division One, and you know, I'm like I didn't I didn't do a year of prep school to go play Division Two, so I paid them no mind at all. And my coach told me, you know. If you, you know, you're still chasing this dream. I was leaving every weekend going and uh, and playing in live tournaments to to attain other offers. And he told me, you run the risk of getting hurt and losing everything. And uh, lo and behold, that's what happened. <laughs> I ended up playing in a live tournament uh, down in uh, D.C. 
and uh, I got hurt, tore my uh, PCL and LCL, and uh, lost a lot of uh, scholarship offers. And you know, at that time, I was just so fed up. And I think that was kind of when I lost a lot of love for the game. Mm. But I was still committed to uh, going to school on a full a full ride, and uh, you know, playing for a solid year. And Southern New Hampshire, you know, offered me uh, five years actually. So they offered me the opportunity to go do a redshirt year. And then, uh, you know, graduating four and then uh, work towards my master's. So uh, once I saw that they still had that loyalty, even though I, you know, I, I, I looked I looked past them initially. Yeah, I, I made the decision right then and there. I said, you know what? This is where I'm going. So I never thought again about it again. <laughs> it was never a question after that. So you go off to, to southern New Hampshire. You're a, a digital media major. What was college like? College was a social experiment. <laughs> no, college was where I really, uh, I really came into my own. I, I'd say because basketball wasn't uh, my primary focus, I was able to focus a lot more on uh, my interactions with other humans, and really, uh, in in doing that, it really taught me a lot about myself. So, uh, you know, academics. Uh, while I believe academics are important, there are a lot of bookworms out there who don't have social skills and. For me, it was all about, you know, being social and doing what I needed to do to obviously graduate and, you know, do well enough in school. But I really wanted to get a sense of, of who I was and who the people around me were. So I would say that, yeah, college was probably some of the, be- the best years of my life in terms of learning how to deal with people of all walks of life, of all, you know, all backgrounds, all socioeconomic classes and religions and whatnot so it was awesome what was it about college whether it was a particular class whether it was a particular person a group of people that enabled you to find yourself uh, and, and kind of get to know yourself in a different way I think it was probably the support that I had um, from my coaching staff um, from my head coach to uh, to my peers it's uh it, it was just an immense level of support the the, the staff at that school was just I mean, they, they, they challenge you daily to think outside the box and to, um, you know, they treated us like adults. We were never we were never treated like like children. And uh, I think that that was that was major. You know, we were able to see the consequences of our actions. And I don't know, I, I just I just really felt like I gained a, a large sense of, of independence while going to the school. And like I said, basketball at the Division two level. You know, basket, basketball is serious. Like, don't 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 get me wrong. We did have uh, a grueling schedule at time, but it's it, it, it's not uh, on par with some of the larger Division One schools. So it gave me an opportunity to explore a lot of my other interests as well. What did those interests become? You know, so so uh, being a digital media major, you know, I, I, I it was kind of like the fusion between graphic design and and film, and I've I've always been into those. I've always really like documentary film and the way that, you know, people kind of pay attention. So I always kind of felt like while, while I was in college, at least I felt like I would be some sort of filmmaker, you know, and I would, I would utilize my, my views on the world and uh, my creative abilities to, to tell stories. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, it's, it's, again, it's funny how things kind of come full circle because that's kind of the, 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 the path that I'm on right now. So, right. Yeah, so that's something that I was able to explore while I was in college. And then uh, my senior year, one of my uh, former teammates actually uh, passed away tragically 
in a, uh, in a, in a car accident. And as a tribute to him, I designed some t-shirts and I got some funding from a local business owner to go produce the t-shirts. So I produced them and then I would sell them, uh, as a fundraiser. And, you know, me and me and one of my, uh, my teammates, you know, put together this fundraiser and we sold a bunch of t-shirts all, all throughout the town. And we were able to donate some of the money for, uh, to his family. So in doing that, that kind of gave me a sense of how to start a t-shirt company right. and how to utilize graphic design and clothing to spread a message. And that kind of led me on the path that, that, that led me to Los Angeles. So how do you end up in Los Angeles coming out of Southern New Hampshire? I mean, the, the, I guess by this point, you know, it's clear to say, uh, it's, or it's safe to say that the focus is no longer really on, I'm going to the NBA, but but maybe there's no, this other <laughs> other opportunities out there. <laughs> yeah, that's that's long gone by this point. I didn't even, <laughs> I, didn't even uh, I never even had a coach. Uh, a, I mean, a talk with my coach about playing overseas or anything. And you know, for four years, I was a leading scorer and rebounder on the team. You know, but yeah. um, it just for me, I just kind of knew. I'm like, yeah, this is over with. But um, I will say that I have actually went to visit after my senior season was done. I went to visit one of my prep school teammates, uh, Redmond Parker. I went to go visit him in California. He grew up in Calabasas, and we remained good friends over the years. So I went to go visit him in Los Angeles, and I just fell in love with the place. I mean, really, like as soon as I got off the plane, I just felt like uh, it was my speed. I just felt the the energy that the you know the air was different, and it was just something that I wanted to be a part of. So um, I stayed with him for about three weeks that spring. And I made the decision. I came home and I told my parents, I said, listen, <laughs> in the fall, I'm moving, I'm moving to L.A. Uh-huh. And uh, I didn't know how I would do it. I didn't know how I would uh, raise money or, or anything like that. But um, I came I, I, I went back to New Hampshire and uh, one of my one of my cousins actually had an in at a dealership and uh, asked me if I wanted to sell cars. And I knew I knew nothing. I still know nothing about cars. but <laughs> He's like, no, trust me, you'd be good at it. So uh, he linked me up with one of his friends who was a finance manager at a Volkswagen dealership. And, uh, you know, shortly after I, w- I was I was selling cars and I was I was slinging them. I was selling cars like hotcakes. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so so you're in Los Angeles and selling cars and and oh, this, what, was still uh, New Hampshire. this was still in New Hampshire, New Hampshire. Uh, OK, OK. Yeah, yeah. This is still in New Hampshire, selling cars, uh, trying to raise money. Um, this is a summer of 2012, summer of 2012, knowing all the while when I got hired that I would be gone in the fall. And the only person that knew that I was leaving was, uh, I had a friend named Jed who worked in the, uh, in in the, uh, parts department. Hmm. He worked, worked in the parts and service department and he was just really cool from the beginning. So I told him, I'm like, look, I'm just taking this job for a couple months to save up some money to go to, to go to, uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to, to go to to go to LA and being that he worked in the parts and uh service department he would uh you know he would fix up my truck any chance he got you know if he got if he got some I I, I hope I hope he doesn't get in trouble for this but <laughs> if, uh, if he got some tires on a trade-in he'd throw them on my car or you know if there was any you know anything that he could do to help fix my car up for the ride uh being that he knew that I was going to drive across country he would yeah. And uh, that was just major. I mean, that was major. That's a, that's a whole nother story uh, because I ended up driving to California. And as soon as I got to as soon as I got to L.A., my car broke down. 
<laughs> so he got it. You know, he, he he fixed my car up just you know just good enough to make the ride. You know, yes. and it got me over there. And then as soon as I got there, it overheated, and I'm on the side of the road in L.A. in my new hometown. Day one or or how many day days one. in? This <laughs> day one. This is. I mean, when I when I drove, I, I drove 44 hours straight from New Jersey to to L.A. And as soon as I saw that sign my car overheated and broke down and I was on the side of the road. It was nuts. So what happens next? So, wow, man, this story is, this story is nuts. So, um, it recovered after that. And, uh, you know, I drive after the car, you know, we cool the car down and, uh, it starts back up. I drive, uh, to my, to my buddy's house, but prior to going to my buddy's house, I stopped at subway, stopped at subway to get something to eat. And, uh, you know, I'm just, kind of shooting the shit with a, with a guy in subway, a random stranger speak to him. And, you know, he asked me like, Oh, well, what are you doing out here? I told him, you know, I just got off the road. I haven't even made it to my friend's house yet. I just stopped to get a sandwich and I tell him about this movement that I want to start. And, you know, he's interested. He gives me his card. He tells me he works in television and, you know, we remain in contact over the, over the next few months. And then he calls me about seven months later. He's like, Hey, do you, do you need a job out here? Nah. I'm like, yeah, actually I do. And come to find out he was, uh, he worked, uh, in, in television programming at a Lionsgate owned, uh, television company mm-hmm. and he, they had a, a position in for marketing. So he called me in and I had an interview and I ended up getting a marketing job with Lionsgate. So, um, that was awesome. That was my first big boy job. That only lasted about three months though. Um, you know, after three months I realized that, you know, I was in LA for a purpose, uh, for a real reason. And, and, and this was very, just very time consuming and taking me away from what I thought my purpose was. And, uh, that purpose was, uh, this company that I started, it was a social movement called I'm just different to promote individuality and acceptance of differences. So what we would do is we would sell t-shirts, merchandise, um, throw events and, uh, also, you know, tell people stories through short form documentary film. That was my idea. That was like my big idea going to LA. So as I said, you know, when, when, when my uh, my former teammate passed away and I got into the production of T-shirts and, mm-hmm. and whatnot, this kind of gave me this idea that sparked my whole interest in selling merchandise uh, for a cause. So that kind of birthed the whole idea of I'm just different and, and really wanting to solve a major problem that I saw in the world with a simple T-shirt and a simple saying. And these documentaries, are you shooting them yourself? Are you part of a team that's doing them or how's that coming together? So at the time it was it was uh, me and then uh, my best friend, um, who was at the time he was uh, he was still living on the East Coast. So it was me and him, and then we took on another partner who helped us out uh, financially, just launching, get you know getting the LLC started. And I, I don't know anything about business, so you know I'm I'm giving up percentages that <laughs> I probably shouldn't, and you know I'm just making all sorts of mistakes. You know collectively, all three of us are you know, buying a bunch of, a bunch of inventory and trying to push it as opposed to, you know, uh, putting it out as a pre-sale and, you know, just making all sorts of, all sorts of mistakes. But, um, we're just really man on the street. We're going out, we're, we're going out with cameras or our cell phones and we're just getting people's stories, asking people what makes you different, you know, and really just putting it all together on this platform to try to like spread some sort of, uh, inspiration, you know, spread some sort of understanding, and acceptance of differences. So um, we had a lot of, uh, of of goals. We had a lot of visions, and 
at times the execution was just kind of blurry. You know, the division was was the vision was always there, but the execution wasn't always. Made a lot of mistakes, but uh, that kind of that led me to some of the other things that I did following that. Uh, speaking of of one of those things, you've mentioned it already a little bit before. Uh, a really inspirational and really fantastic uh, program called Between the Lines, a not for profit. Uh, you started with Darren Duncan. Can you tell me the story first of all of, of how you and and Darren met? Yeah, absolutely. Um, like I said, I, I went to Southern New Hampshire University and I played basketball there. And and uh, one of the teams that we played against, uh, Merrimack College, there was this this kid who was just amazing on the court and uh that being darren duncan uh you know who went on to be an all-american a hall of famer at merrimack college um you know in, in college we played against each other and we had a mutual respect for each other but uh we didn't we didn't know each other well you know we didn't know each other well but um i had nothing but great things to say about him and i'm i'm hoping that he uh, had nothing great but great things to say about me as well but um you know fast forward a few years later, I think it's probably about 2015, mm-hmm. and uh, I get a random message from 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 Darren on on Instagram, and he tells me that you know him and uh, some of his guys are coming out to LA, and they you know just want some help, uh, you know in terms of what to do in the city, and he, you know he asks if I have any advice, and you know I linked up with him after not seeing him for some years uh, since we were on the court battling it out together. And I linked up with him and his friend group, and uh, we all became, you know, the best of friends. So a couple years goes goes by after that, and I tell him about something that I'm involved in, um, which is going into the prisons and uh, putting on basketball clinics, and, and he's he's super interested. Um, and at the time, I was going in, you know, once a year um, with another group um, that I had started along uh, with, with another friend. But we were just doing one-offs, you know. It was it, it was a one-off because funding, is, it, you know, was hard to find. They don't have major budgets in the prisons, you know. We're not getting paid to go into the prisons or anything. But at the end of the day, if you if you're trying to bring in ten to fifteen volunteers, you know, you got to travel there. You got to make sure that your volunteers eat, you know. So there are costs involved, and we just didn't have the money. We were coming out of pocket whenever we could, but it wasn't something that was sustainable. So. I sat down with Aaron. I told him that, you know, I wanted to go, I wanted to go back in and he was, he was all about it. So we decided to, uh, you know, put our heads together and create between the lines. What is between the lines? So essentially between the lines is a, a prison basketball program that helps aid in the process of rehabilitation. And, uh, our focus is really to have a positive impact on the recidivism rate. Um, you know, uh, at, I'm not sure how familiar you are with with uh, the prison system uh, in the United States, but it's it's just a revolving door. It's just outrageous. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at some of these recidivism rates, it's just it's almost you know when when guys are getting out, it's it's more so like you know I'll see you in a little bit as opposed to like I'll never see you again. You know, right, right. Uh, and it's just sad. It's just sad. Uh, for one, the circumstances that lead to crime in America are outrageous, and then. You know, when, when when guys go to prison, they're not being properly uh, rehabilitated, and then when they get out, they're not given a fair sh- uh, a fair shot to, to to stay out and be active members in society, and that's kind of where we come in. You know, so we go inside and and we try to provide some sort of uh, some sort of hope. Um, you know, all of the guys that participate in our program have to uh, remain on their best behavior in order to participate. 
you know, and then while we're in there, like I said, they're they're on their best behavior. They they they're happy that someone from the outside is taking the time. Um, you know, like I said, none of us are getting paid to be in there, and those guys understand that. You know, uh, we're not in there for for any sort of fame or accolades. We're in there because we gen- genuinely want to be in there. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's just it's just amazing um, how guys you know hang on your every word. They're just they're just so appreciative of you just taking your time to be there. And, you know, that 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 resonates and that and that, you know, we've talked we've spoken to 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 guards and we've spoken to uh, the wardens at the prison. And they they tell us how the impact of us going in there and visiting, how it lasts, you know, it it, it lasts even when we're outside the prison. You know, when we leave and those gates lock behind us, you know, the impact of of our visit is still being felt. Mm. It's a beautiful thing. It is. Tell, tell me about that first time before Between the Lines began. You get, uh, as you're doing the kind of the one-offs, was that initially an invitation from someone else to get into a prison? What was the spark that got you in there? And if you could tell me a bit about what that very first time was like, where it was, and just the, the feel of it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So there was a, there was a, a friend of mine, a guy named Richie Schuler, who um, is actually a, an ESPN analyst. He does a, a, a lot of NCAA games. And I actually met him while I was uh, playing in the Venice Basketball League uh, at Venice Beach. And randomly just met him, started speaking to him on the sideline. And we became friends, realized that we had uh, some mutual friends as well. And I guess he had a connection at uh, Sentinella, Sentinella State Prison uh, with an athletic director. And you know, he reached out to me because he knew that I had the company. I'm just different. And he said, hey, man, I think this would be right up your alley. Like, do you think you will want to go into the prison with me and maybe start a basketball program? So, you know, I, I jumped all over it. So um, initially he and I went into the prison and we just met with guys on each yard. So there's four yards at this specific prison. And we just met with guys. We just sat down in a classroom with them and asked them, you know, how they would feel if we came in and kind of started a basketball program. And the response that we got was just amazing. We just went in there, um, you know, asked, you know, if they were interested, they say, yeah. And then after that, we spent the rest of the time just kind of like shooting the shit, just talking about basketball. Um, you know, they would ask us who, you know, who's your favorite player? Who's your favorite team? Who, who do you think is going to win the championship this year? And, you know, just, just seeing how those guys would light up when we talked, when we spoke about basketball, it was just amazing. Um, and I think that that was all the proof that we needed, um, that we really needed to do something here, that we really had something special. So that was the initial time we went in and just spoke. Um, but then two months later, we brought in a crew of 10 to 12 volunteers. And it was just, I mean, I can't even, I can't even describe the feeling when you, you know, when you walk into a prison and you walk out on a prison yard and, you know, you got guys of all. Um, you know, races and backgrounds, ages, you know, just, just, just staring at you and they're all just waiting for your instruction. You know, like I said, those gates close behind you and, you know, something about being on that basketball court that just kind of puts you guys all on the same level. It doesn't matter what, you know, what the other guy's done to get there. It doesn't matter what, what, what you've done or haven't done. It's like, you know, when you're in between those lines, there's, there's one goal and that's to win. Uh, you know, so it's just something about the basketball court that kind of, you know, puts us all on the same, same plane. And it's, uh, it's guys coming together for a common love of the sport. And it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. 
I've I've heard the stat before, and granted, this might be different state by state or country by country, but you hear the number nine out of every 10, right? Nine out of every 10 people in prison will get out at some point. So it's really about like giving them the best chance to succeed and not end up back in jail about, about reintegration. Uh, How how does that come into play with between the lines? Well, see that, that when we first heard that stat, it was just staggering, you know, because I think that typically people in America think that like, okay, these guys are bad. They did some bad things. Let's lock them up and let's throw them away and we'll never have to see them again. But that couldn't be further from the truth. You know, like you said, on the state level, right now, nine out of 10 guys are, are, are going to get out. They're going to see a date, you know, and that's with a lot of the reform that's happening. That's with, uh, you know, they're, they're now looking at that crimes that looking at crimes that, that guys committed, you know, when they were young and they their brains weren't considered fully developed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, things like uh, the accomplice law where, you know, they're revisiting cases where guys didn't actually commit the crime, but they were simply an accomplice, you know, but they got the same amount of time as, you know, the guy who pulled the trigger or the guy that robbed that store or hit that old lady, you know? So, um, you know, they're revisiting a lot of these cases and guys are, guys are, are getting out. Some things are being overturned. There's just a lot of great work being done in the reform space. And the truth of the matter is when, when, when guys get out, they're not going to some, you know, uh, special neighborhood for, you know, for, for convicted felons or, you know, or criminals, they're going, you know, to the neighborhoods that we live in. So it would really serve us best if we, you know, provide them all of the tools that they need to to be active members in society. Um, We owe it to them. Uh, You know, these people aren't aliens. They're people just like us, you know, that have made mistakes. I mean, and you look at it, the amount of people that are um, incarcerated wrongly or have uh, heightened sentences uh, for, let's say a, uh, a gang enhancement or, you know, uh, California having a three strike law or, you know what I'm saying? There's, there's just, I mean, the system is, 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 is so messed up. It's so messed up. Uh, and it's on us to try to correct it, to try to combat some of these, uh, these, these wrongdoings. Um, and that, and that's not to say that everybody in prison, uh, is innocent or that's not to say that, um, some people don't belong in prison, but, um, at a, at a certain point, we have to recognize that, um, you know, if you want to know anything about a society, you look at its criminals, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, there are there are certain circumstances, there are certain um, there are certain things that are in place systemically that uh, aid in crime. And if we're going to make a change, we got to start with the prisons and we got to we got to really, really take a look at our inmates and what, what landed those guys in prison. Mm. Uh, private prisons, let's not even talk about it. Uh, that's a whole, <laughs> I mean, that's a whole nother thing. I mean, just the fact that people can get paid to put people in prison and, uh, you know, private prisons can, can, can then sue for having uh, a, a lower occupancy than they than they like. You know, they're mm. building beds without having inmates to put in them. And then they're going out and putting pressure on local police departments to go get them inmates. You know, it's just it's just outrageous. And I think that uh, too often a lot of these voices get silenced and between the lines wants to serve, uh, you know, as a voice for the voiceless. What's been the biggest success of this or the most transformative part of this work for you? I'd say I say it, it, it's just uh, I don't know if this answers your question necessarily, but. 
you know, recognizing the impact that, that we're having on some of these guys and uh, helping them through their sentences and uh, just hearing some of their testimonials. I mean, uh, the reason, okay, one of the real reasons that we got Between the Lines started back up um, as, as quickly as we did is that I was at one of my local bars in Los Angeles and a guy comes up to me and he knows my name. He, you know, he says Tori, you know, and I, you know, I'm like, how does this guy know me? You know? And he's like, you know, I remember you. He's like, you probably don't remember me. I'm like, well, you know, where do I know you from? And he said, well, I served 19 years at Sentinella state prison. And I remember you coming in and, and doing the basketball program. And I just want to tell you that that helped me get through my last two years there. Wow. So now I'm at my local bar, you know, I never, I, I never understood that I would actually see a lot of these people on the other side. At that time, I still didn't understand that, 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 that nine out of 10 stat, you know? And then I'm at my local bar and this, this, this guy comes up to me, remembers my name and everything and tells me how, you know, I, I probably saw him two times over the course of two years, but mm-hmm. to, for him to tell me that, that the work that I was doing helped him get through his last two years of, of a 19 year sentence was just amazing to me. Mm. It was amazing to me. Once I saw that, I'm like, you know what? Like, I got to stop bullshit and I got to get back in there. And that's kind of what expedited everything, you know. So, um, recognizing that the work that you're doing uh, will, will will then come full circle, and you will see people on the other side, you know that that really made me want uh, to go even harder with the program. I want to veer away from between the lines for just a moment. I think we'll get back to it yet, but just for, for a couple of bits okay. of your story that we haven't gotten to yet. Being a Raptors fan, me being a lifelong Raptors fan, you had a chance to celebrate with the Raptors after they won the NBA championship. I did. What, what was that experience like? I mean, that was, that was nuts. I mean, you know, you growing up in the States, you know, every, not every city, but every city or region has their team, right? And, you know, if you go travel outside of that city or region, you know, there's a whole different team. But uh, being able to, 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 to be in Canada and, and see the, 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 amount of, the immense amount of pride that the entire country had for this one team was just outrageous. I couldn't believe it. I never even realized it. You know, I never even realized, like, oh, wow. Yeah, the whole country is rooting for this one team. <laughs> you know, so I, I, I think it was just... It was nuts. So it was one thing getting to celebrate with the Raptors when after they won, I I traveled to Vegas and uh, I hung out with the guys and that was cool, you know, but it was nothing like uh, traveling around with my buddy's camp and, you know, going from city to city in Canada and just witnessing all of the love. I mean, sold out camp city after city and the the amount of love that that he got and the amount of love that we got just for being there with him was just outrageous and uh this is something that Darren Darren Duncan is always also involved in so he actually introduced me to to Danny Green who um was on the Raptors and won a championship last year but Darren also is uh is a guy who heads the camps so me and Darren have found multiple ways to to work together so he kind of brought me in on all of this and Mm-hmm. And gave that opportunity as well. So that was that was outrageous. I mean, it's it's I can't compare it to anything. I've never seen anything like it. One other thing, you got the invite to recording sessions, Revenge of the Dreamers three. What was that experience like? Ooh. Now that oh man, 
that again, again, uh, this past year was full of so many firsts, but um, that was awesome. Collectively, I, I, I've never seen uh, so many creatives in the music industry in one place. I mean, I was there for three out of the 10 days. And just the, I mean, the amount of people that walked through the door. I mean, you had everything, everyone from uh, the Milwaukee Bucks, you know, uh, Giannis coming through the door to, you know, uh, T.I. I uh, think Chris Bosh came in and he had a laptop full of beats. And right, right, right. it was just like, it was just, if you can imagine like, a, you know, a studio of, I don't know, there may, there may have been 15 rooms in there. And just every artist or producer you could imagine just you know, scattered throughout this building, just, just creating everywhere. There was space. There was a studio set up. Yeah. Even in the, in the hallways or like, you know, uh, beneath stairwells, uh, you know, and you had, <laughs> you had guys just running from room to room, hopping on tracks. And that was just, it was amazing. I mean, I don't, I don't make music. You know, I've been friends with uh, a lot of the Dreamville guys for some years now. Mm -hmm. And I'm just kind of like a vibes guy, you know? Uh, so I'm going there and I'm just inspired. Even though I don't make music, I'm just inspired to see so many creatives come together and everybody toss their egos aside and just create. I mean, you had you had uh, you know J Cole hopping on tracks and you know with with people who have been making music for a year. You know what I'm saying? And so it was nuts. It was it, there was no like I don't think there was any like hierarchy. You know? Yeah. It's just kind of like hey, if I walk into the studio and that sounds good, like oh, I want to jump on that or. You know, uh, can you help me out with this? Can you, you know, so it was cool seeing everybody come together. So that, that kind of, um, really set me on a path for the rest of the year and really made me understand the power of collaboration. How did you and Dreamville first connect? Where do you go back with them? So actually I first connected with them. Uh, I was at the time I was playing at Southern New Hampshire university and, uh, I was home in Jersey and my cousin asked me, Hey, do you want to go play ball? Let's go to the city. So we went to Chelsea Piers and played in New York and I was wearing my Southern New Hampshire University uh, shorts. And at the time, the president of Dreamville, uh, well, he's still the president, uh, Ibrahim. Eep, yeah. yeah. So he saw my shorts. He was he was there with Cole and he saw my shorts. Say, hey, you go to Snoo. Do you know, uh, do you know, Miguel, you know, sticks. And at the time, these were my roommates. So okay. I actually lived, I, I lived with those guys. So. Um, that was the first time that I met Eve. That was the first time that I met Cole and, uh, you know, remained in contact after that, just minimally, you know, I would see them around and I'd say what's up. And that was, that was kind of it. Um, but, uh, one of my teammates, his best friend, um, ended up working for them, getting a job working for Dreamville, uh, kid, Matthew Robinson, uh, Matty P. And, uh, you know, from there, like I was, I moved out to to Los Angeles, and then shortly after, um, Dreamville had a heavy presence. They 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 had a house in in Los Angeles as well. Then they would come out there and throw events and and you know different pop up shops. And me, you know, being that I lived out there already, I had kind of a, a you know a great network. And those guys would want to go out, so you know I would bring them out to different spots. Uh, one of those spots being the Don uh, in Los Angeles. This is also the same bar that um, I ran into the guy who came through our Between the Lines program. So, you know, that just being our local bar. But, you know, and from there, I just started meeting more and more guys, you know. So I started, like, I met Boss, and uh, I met Derek, uh, Boss's manager, and then uh, different producers that work with them. And then it just kind of it just kind of became so much more familiar. Started getting different invites to different, uh, you know, shows and events that they would have, birthday parties and, 
you know, so it, it, it's something that goes back, you know, goes back to, I mean, 2008, 2009. Wow. Wow. So it's, it's, it's just nuts how time flies. And when I think about it now, it's just, it's funny. Cause Eve is like, man, I can't even believe that you're that same person. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> so it's nuts playing ball with him back then. And then, you know, he just hit me up the other day, uh, him and Cole were going to play some hoops at UCLA mm. and he hit me up to like run ones with them. But, uh, I tore my meniscus recently, so I wasn't able to make that. Because, <laughs> I mean, 2008, 2009, that's really before J. Cole became who he is today. People didn't really know about him in the same way then. You know, yeah, it's it's so funny how things come full circle. Because at that time, um, I remember, like, one of my favorite songs by him was, uh, he had the song with Lil Wayne, um, The Green Ranger. And, uh, you know, he had the, he had the green rain. I, I forgot what I forgot what this song is called. Um, uh, but anyway, he, he had a, he really had a green ranger over at the time. Uh, and I remember saying like, wow, that's crazy. He raps about this, but he actually has. It. And that was like one of my first experiences with him. I'm like, man, like, you know, a lot of these guys rap about things that they don't really have. And he actually had that. And then, you know, fast forward to like now, uh, Danny Green being one of my yeah. best friends and you know everybody calls him the, the green ranger and that's his instagram name and he got that from that song so <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of crazy how that that kind of you know that 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 has come up a couple times in my life and how that all connects yeah yeah uh to bring it back to me being a raptors fan for a moment and you being in los angeles uh do i have to blame you for luring danny green out to los angeles nah, it wasn't me <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't me it wasn't me uh you know uh, our camp tour um, actually ended up being uh, kind of like insight into the free agency period. Um, and that was that was something that was completely unplanned, you know. Mm-hmm. At the time, we're going on these tours, and Danny has every intention on, of going back to Toronto, you know. But uh, everybody obviously was wondering what, you know, what Kawhi was going to do. And we actually had uh, a television crew following us around, um, Darren Duncan created a show on TSN following us through the camps. So, uh, it just kind of made a switch where all of a sudden it became about, you know, where's Kawhi going to go? And then, you know, where's Danny going to go? And, you know, he had a couple of different options and just the way that I played out, you know, he ended up going to LA I, at the time. Like I had been out in LA, I had been out in LA for seven years already. Yeah. You know, so I didn't really say anything the entire time. I'm like, yeah, it would be nice. Selfishly, yeah. it would be yeah, nice. Yeah. LA and then it ended up playing out like that so it's kind of like storybook man it's storybook nothing's nothing's by mistake though Mm. there's no coincidences everything happens for a reason so it's a beautiful thing I think I think the boy's happy and you know he's doing he's doing really well in his new his new city yeah yeah, he should be happy I think Toronto fans will have nothing but good things to say about him you can't hold it against him and uh, we're wishing him well too yeah I was just gonna ask you that I was just gonna ask you that how do you feel well, yeah, I mean, he it obviously it hurts to lose a guy, both him and Kawhi. But I don't think I can't hold it against either of them for not coming back. Would have loved to have them both back, but yeah. you win a championship and it's uh, <laughs> they've kind of fulfilled their duty. I mean, that's that's they've done more than what anyone else has managed to do in that city. So uh, grateful for that. Grateful for Beautiful. that memory already of what that playoff run was like. Because I mean, that's the first ever and even in toronto too like i've grown up watching a lot of losing toronto sports teams so uh happy for that one for sure beautiful i'm glad i'm 
glad they were able to make that happen for you guys, you know? And I'm sure it won't be the last. I'm sure it won't be either. Uh, I want to bring things full circle to bring it back to between the lines for a moment. You know, if you could think back to growing up, having that prison nearby, the symbolism of all of that, where do you think um, this could go yet? Where do you want to see this grow between the lines? Well, I definitely want to want to bring it to uh, to prisons throughout the country for sure. And I think that where we want to go with the program is really uh, we really want to help and come full circle and, and help with job placement upon release. You know, so that like I said, that that, that nine out of 10 statistic is, is very staggering. And we want to provide the guys with the tools that they need um, to be active members in society when they get out so we can. We can we, we we can stop that revolving door and stop guys from going right back in, mm. you know. Okay, you know maybe you made a mistake, maybe you're in, you know maybe you're wrongly accused and you're in. But when you get out, we want to do all that we can to stop you guys, stop the guys from going back in, guys and girls. Um, so that's kind of like where we want to grow. We want we we want to implement this program into prisons throughout the country and just inspire other people to to go into prisons and actually pay attention to some of these people because they are brothers, they are sisters, you know, and they should, they, they shouldn't be forgotten about. So we're just, we're just looking to grow it right now. We're, we're looking to attain funding so that we can go in on a more regular basis and really service as many prisons as we can. Thank you so much for taking the time and sharing your story. I really appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Anytime. Thank you so much for reaching out. That's it for the show. Thanks for listening, and I hope you liked it. If you enjoyed the show, do me a favor, hit subscribe, rate, review, and most of all, tell someone else about it. If you want to get in touch, a few ways you can. You can send me an email at storyuntoldpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow along on Facebook at facebook.com slash storyuntoldpodcast. You can also find me on Twitter at Martin underscore Bauman. Theme music for the show is by Dr. Turtle off the album You Um, I'll Ah. Once again, I'm Martin Bauman, and this was a story untold. See you next time. <laughs> <laughs>